Praise the Lord. Welcome in to another Sower of Seeds podcast. I'm your host, Ted Johnson. And as always, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our kind and gracious, loving Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, Lord, for this day, and I thank you, God, for being with us and caring for us and meeting our needs, dear God, and keeping us safe. And, Lord, I just thank you, God, for our life, for our health, dear God, for this wonderful day that you have blessed us with, God. I just thank you so very much. And, God, I thank you for this another privilege to go out by way of podcast, God. And I ask, Lord, that you would just, God, that you would just bless this podcast, God, and you would use it for your glory, Lord, not for my glory. God, and just to help someone in some way, dear God, where they may be lifted up or, or whatever it may be, dear God. Now, God, I ask, Lord, that you just touch my mind and my lips, dear God, that you would speak through me the words that you would have me to speak. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen. We are in the third chapter of Joshua. Uh, Moses has passed away, and now the uh, uh, Joshua has uh, taken Moses' place, uh, so to speak. He is uh, going to lead the children of Israel across the Jordan. Uh, and we are in, uh, like I said, in chapter 3. And uh, verse number 1 in chapter 3. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Chittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. Now, a few little facts about Jordan River. Uh, the Jordan River by uh, land miles is not very long. I think uh, it's something like uh, um, 96 miles or something like that. But nautical miles, Jordan River is 198.8 miles long. Uh, it's, it's, it's a very crooked river. Uh, it switches back and forth all the way down from the mountains where it starts to, starts at to the Dead Sea, and uh, down during the uh, winter, uh, end of the winter and the first of spring or end of the spring, it is flooded. Uh, all the snow and everything that's in the mountains and all the uh, the uh, wells and springs and everything that feeds Jordan River, they are, they are flowing real well and and uh, Jordan overflows its banks. And to uh, give you, a, for instance, of, uh, of what it would be like, uh, um, it is, uh, if I can read my writing, <laughs> its narrowest point is 32.8 feet wide. And now then, when you uh, add the water, the winter and spring flooding, it, it expands its width to 7,920 7, feet. So it, it, um, it is quite, quite large during the time that the flooding is going on. Now then, when all this flooding is going on, is right in the season when uh, the uh, Israelites and all the people around the Jordan River, this is when they start their planting season. So they get their, their seeds planted, they get their crops planted, whatever it is, and then they use this overflow of water from the Jordan River to irrigate their crops. 
and this is the way that their crops are grown it's from the water from the jordan river and at this time when it is very full and is overflowing its banks and everything it is a, a the perfect time for to get the water from the river to the fields it's it's the easiest time uh nowadays it doesn't flood like that because there's uh, upstream there are uh, i can't remember the name of the towns now but there's two town two cities and they have built dams and they they control the flooding of the river but still yet they use it for irrigation and uh, uh down there's two different parts of it uh, the upper section and the lower section the upper section is one that they use for irrigation and uh, for growing their crops and things like that. The the lower section is uh, polluted. It's 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 worthless. They can't use it for anything from uh, from a runoff from the uh, uh, or the discharge from some of the factories and the businesses and things like that that are dumping into it. That they have polluted it, and it's it's not very. Um, it's not very not much good for anything, and it flows into the Dead Sea, which rightly gets its name. It's, it's dead. There's there's no life in the Dead Sea, but the children of Israel are getting ready to go across Jordan at a time when it is overflowing its banks, and uh, it, it's it's a very dangerous river at this point in time. And there's no way to get across it uh, unless you build a ferry or, or uh, a boat or something like that, and then you could go across it. But now listen, we are talking about a, a nation of people that are probably uh, two, three million people by now, if not more. And they are going to have to go across this, this river uh, safely and so we're going we're going to be looking at a a some things that God does in the crossing of the Jordan that we, that is actually uh, they are uh, on a little higher scale than Moses crossing the Red Sea with the children of Israel <coughs> because uh, you know when Moses crossed the Red Sea uh, or yeah crossed the Red Sea. Uh, Bible says that uh, there was a wind that came in that evening, and I know I marked it, or I thought I did. Uh, yes, in uh, Exodus chapter 14, and starting in 21, and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left hand. Now then, the Jordan River, it, is, it flows. Uh, the Red Sea is just a sea. Uh, maybe uh, some movement in the water, but where they went across... There wasn't very much movement. But now we're going across the Jordan River when it's at its flood stage. And it's overflowed its banks, and it's flowing pretty good. But uh, 
Uh, we go on, we're going to find out just exactly what, how God moved in this way, and these people got across. It, it, it's it's uh, a very miraculous thing that God done at this point. And, uh, verse 2, And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then ye shall move from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near it unto it, that ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way heretofore. Now, like I said before, when I find something in the Bible that piques my interest, I start searching it out, and I was trying to figure out why that they had to have this this enormous space, uh, three thousand cubics, um, because two thousand two thousand cubics is about a quarter of a mile, a little maybe a little over. They had to put a quarter of a mile between them and the the Ark of the Covenant. And I was trying to figure out why put this distance between them. Yes, it is uh, something that is very sacred. Uh, the Levites uh, are the only ones that can, uh, well, the priest is the only one that can actually touch the Ark of the Covenant. Covenant. Uh, he's the one that goes in and covers it up and puts the staves in the ring so that it can be carried. Then the Levites come in and they the only part of it that they can touch is the staves as they pick the sta- pick the Ark of the Covenant up and put it on their shoulders so that they can carry it. So um, this, this, I figured, well, you know, that that's a good reason. Uh, but then I got to doing a little research, and it was for the simple fact of sight. Uh, if people, if like I said, they probably two, three million people at this point, and maybe more, maybe less. I'm, I'm just guesstimating. But you get this group of people together, and, uh, you know, they're trying to follow uh, this Ark of the Covenant, and everybody can't see exactly what's going on, so, you know, they, they may start scattering out or getting wider or whatever. But when they go across the Red Sea or the Jordan River, they've got to stay pretty compact. So the Lord told them to stay back about a quarter of a mile, and that way everybody can pretty well see what is happening with the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, instead of being right up on it and everybody's trying to look over everybody else's head and see what's going on, uh, everybody is back quite a ways back, and they, you know, they can pretty much tell about what's going on with the Ark. So that's the reason for that. And they have to follow this ark. When the ark moves, they move. And if you remember, back when they was wandering around in the wilderness and just after they came out of Egypt, God put a cloud, uh, a pillar of a cloud by day and a, and a pillar of fire by night to uh, so that they had something to follow. All they had to do is look up and they could follow it. Uh, everybody was looking up and they'd know when it was moving and when it was stopped and when it turned. But now then, um, 
one of two things has either happened. The, the pillar of the cloud has completely gone away or it has, uh, maybe it has went and set up on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Nobody really knows at this point because the Bible doesn't say anything about the cloud, following the cloud anymore. They're following the Ark. So this is, this is a type of, of God, this ark, uh, because this is the one thing, the one, one piece of furniture, if you will, that is in the most holy place, and that's all that there is in there. It's this ark of the covenant with its lid, and it's got the cherubims on the mercy seat, and it's got the cherubims with their wings spread out over the mercy seat. So now then, there, and, this, and this ark at this point in time, is covered with the veil that is that that is hung up between the holy place and the most holy place, and then it is covered with other cloth also, because it is being transported. Uh, so it it has a specific way that it has to be covered, and the priest uh, is the only one that can go in and cover this up. Uh, the Levites. Uh, the only thing that they can do is after the priest has got it covered up and everything, they go in, pick the uh, the Ark of the Covenant up by the staves, put it on their shoulder, and carry it to wherever they're going to next. And Joshua, uh, verse 5, And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And thou shalt command the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When ye are come to the brink of the water of Jordan, ye shall stand still in Jordan. Now then, when the when the priest and the Levites, when they when they when they got time to go, they would pick the Ark of the Covenant up, they would be first, and they would go out to the Jordan River and they would actually stand in the edge of Jordan River uh, in the water okay now then as soon as their feet the, the the feet the soles of their feet of those that bore the ark hit the water the water was cut off all the water from that point downstream it went on downstream into the Dead Sea all the water that was coming from above stood in a heap for a long way. Now then, listen to this. this. As soon as their feet hit this water, it separated. Okay, and it says, uh in Jordan. Let me find that. And the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city Adam that is beside Zeratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people passed right 
passed over right against Jericho on dry land. They passed over. Now then the waters receded, and when when the water stopped, and when the water stopped, the rest of the water went on down uh, the riverbed, and they uh, the Israelites came across on dry ground. It every bit of the water from where where they were walking across that every bit of that water. There was no mud. There was no uh, no gritty stuff or nothing like that. It was dry ground. That instantly, that water, you, and just think about it. That water, it, it's untelling how many hundreds of thousands of years or whatever that that water has been running in that riverbed. So you know they they was a lot of a lot of sediment and a lot of mud and a lot of uh, um, dead fish and and all kinds of stuff that was in the bottom of that riverbed, and when that water when they the priest carrying the ark of the covenant stepped in that water, it, that water rose in a heap on one the part that was coming down it stopped and it rose in a heap. And the rest of it went on down, and when it went on down, it took every bit of water that was in that riverbed. It took every bit of the water with them, because it said in verse seventeen, "And the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of Jordan, and all the Israelites passed over on dry ground until all the people were passed." clean over Jordan. They passed clean. There was no mud. There was no no nothing sticking to their shoes. There was nothing getting on their clothes. When they got on the other side, it was just like they they were just like they were when they first stepped uh, up to Jordan River. They didn't have any sand. They didn't have any silt. They didn't have any mud or nothing. It was clean. And the 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 priest that was carrying the ark of the co- bearing the ark of the covenant, they stood in the middle of the uh, Jordan River on dry ground, and they stood there on top of the ground. They didn't sink in mud or anything. So you know there there was only not only one miracle done here by God, but there was two, and it was instantly, instant, instantly, because when the when the uh, priest that was carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped in the water, it happened. It happened. Now then, let, now, now remember, Jordan is at flood stage. It's 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 way over its banks, and it's it may be running pretty quick because it it drops it drops very it has a pretty good drop on it from where it starts to the Dead Sea. And it might have been flowing pretty fast. And then all of a sudden, the top part of it that was coming to them, it just stopped and it started building up on the heap. And the bottom part of it went on down. So, yeah, it, it was a great miracle that God had done at that point in time. And, you know, this, we, we wonder why it is that God is not moving in our, in our midst anymore and here we have got the children of Israel. Uh, they have they have gotten in trouble so many times, 
in the last 40 years uh, but complaining and and doubt and uh, disobeying God and and just doing everything to be thought of they 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 just about continually stayed in trouble at some point in time and God had to chastise them and had to um, wake them up so now here they are God has done this great and mighty work in front of them and they have stood there and watched it happen and then they walked across this Jordan River on dry ground um, and you know it is it's just one of those things that are that is very remarkable and this is all done so that Joshua can be uh, Joshua can uh, so God can let the people know that He is with Joshua just as much as He was with with Moses. See Moses, it took overnight for them to go over on dry ground, but Joshua, it didn't take but just a few few minutes for them to go over on dry ground. And, but the soul, it said, and it came to pass in verse 13, as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of Jordan, that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand upon a heap. And when this happens, it said, And it came to pass, when the people removed from their tents to pass over Jordan, the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as they that bear the Ark were come in unto Jordan, and the feet of the priest that bear the Ark were dipped in the brim of the water, for Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of harvest. The waters parted. Bottom part went on down to the red to the uh, sea, and the and the top part of it just stood in a heap, for a for a very for, for a stood in a heap very far. And I tried to find out where the city of Adam and uh, beside Zeratan, and nobody knows exactly where these two cities are at. But it was it was a quite a ways up that these waters stood in a heap instead of overflowing and going all over the land that is above and everything they just stood up in a heap like you just stacked that water up and it stood there till all the Israelites got across. Now then, my question to you is: Say we're going to say conservatively, there's two million. Israelites, uh, Israelites, and the people with them, the strange uh, strangers that were with them, and they were crossing over the Red Sea. How how long do you think that it would take these people, that many people, to cross over the Red Sea? Say a quarter of a mile. It's going to take quite a while, and them on foot. It's going to take quite a while for them to get to the other side. All the time, all this water that's coming down from a mountain and everything, it just keeps heaping up and heaping up. Listen, people, there is nothing impossible with God. I don't care what I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care what's happening. There's nothing impossible impossible with God, and God is no respecter of persons. 
if God will do these miracles for the children of Israel back in that day, he's still the same God today that he was then. If he'll do those miracles for those, those people, he'll do the same thing for us today. You know, I've always said, and I believe it with all my heart, if a man's got the, the uh, trust in God and he's got faith in God, he can take, I don't care if you've got $5,000 a month in debt, if you have faith and you're trusting in God and everything, he can take two pennies and he can pay every bit of your debt for a month. Your house payment, your, electric, your utilities, your gas bill, uh, your car payments, everything. He can pay everything with those two cents. If we would just have enough faith to trust in him and to follow him and do as he says. No, it's not easy. It is not easy. But we, we need to understand and we need to wake up and we need to figure out just exactly how, how big our God is. We today, see, the thing, the difference between the children of Israel then and us today is the children of Israel had to depend upon God. They had to. There, there was no other way around it. There, there was no grocery stores. There was no uh, uh, clothing stores. There was, there was no cloth store. There was no kind of a store for them to stop and get what they needed, food for their animals, food for them. Uh, clothes for and shoes and all the different things like that. There was no place on in the wilderness where they could stop and get these things. So God provided for them. And they trusted God to provide for them. They, they basically had to understand that that we we are going this way. We and there's nothing else we can do. So God is going to have to supply our every need. And they went forward by faith. Even after they got up to the Jordan River, when they left Shittim and they come up to the Jordan River, they marched up to the Jordan River by faith, knowing that there is no possible way for them to get across that river. But, the, but Joshua said that God told them that they was going across that river today and they had enough faith to, to march up to that river and know some way, somehow, they were going to cross that river today. They didn't know how, but they know God was going to work, and they know God was going in control, and he was going to take care of it. Now then, children of God, we need to have the same faith that God is going to take care of our problems. God is going to take care of everything in our life. We need to follow him. We need to trust in him. We need to have faith in him and know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that no matter what comes against us, he's going to take care of it. He's got everything under control. He's got everything in his hands. He's working it out the way that he wants it worked out, not the way that we want it worked out, but the way that he wants it worked out. Because in the end, when he works it out, it's going to work out better. It's going to be better if we would just turn it over to him and let him handle it and not worry about it. But see, we we think, and we have been taught, if we have a problem, we need to work it out ourselves. We've been taught this ever since we've been big enough to learn anything. 
that if you've got a problem, you need to, you need to take care of it yourself. But listen, the one lesson that I have learned is if I've got a problem, I call on my Heavenly Father. Dad, I need help. I have got a problem that I cannot, I, I can't do nothing with it. I don't know what to do with it. I need help. And he always, always helps me. It may not be when I think he ought to, but he always helps me. He's never late. He's always right on time. And he will work your problems out too if you will let him. Take them, lay them down at his feet, walk off and leave them, and do what it is that he wants you to do. See, so many of us are expecting God to move, and we are doing absolutely nothing for him. We're doing absolutely nothing. We, are, we have got saved, and we are satisfied, and we are set down, and we are waiting on God to come back and get us. It's time we get up. It's time we put on the whole armor of God, and it's time that we go to work. You know, Bible says in several places that all, all the battles, the battles have already been won. The wars have already been won. The battles have been won. Christ won all of that when he died upon the cross. All those, all those battles that you're fighting right now, they've already been won. Now then, you need to take those battles and you need to turn them over to God and forget about them and go on because God has already won those battles once. There's no sense in you fighting something that somebody else has won. You know, I'm, I'm not going to go back out here and declare war on, on uh, the north. Uh, you know, that may sound a little crazy, but listen, that's exactly what we're doing as children of God. I wouldn't go declare war on the north again because that battle's already been fought. It's already been taken care of. Everything's been settled. Well, our battles that we're fighting today have already been taken care of. It's already settled. So quit fighting them. Turn them over to God, and you do what you're supposed to be doing. <clears throat> you know, what if, what if Joshua, when he got up to the to the river jordan and he seen how it was out of its banks and it was flowing real hard and everything what if you said ain't no way we're going to get across there we're going to have to go find us another way to get across that ain't this ain't going to work they'd have never got over into the promised land that had still been wandering around in the wilderness when all of them died well you know we it's time for us as children of god it's time for us to get out of the wilderness it's time for us to get to that place where God wants us to be, where he can use us. It's time for us to quit sitting around and sleeping and, and uh, wondering uh, when it is that he's going to come and get us. Uh, you know, it, well, you know, it should be in time now. I, I've, been, I've been sitting here waiting on him for about 15 years. Yeah, well, you need to get up and go to work because... You know, every, everything that I read in the Bible uh, is telling me that I need to, I need to do some work. When, when I give my heart and life to God and, and he forgives me of my sins and I turn from my sins, I have got a job to do, uh, many jobs to do, as a matter of fact. And the Bible, in one place, Jesus told the, the disciples and all of them, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
That doesn't mean you have to be a preacher. That doesn't mean you have to be a teacher. The, uh, if you look up the Hebrew meaning of uh, pre, uh, preach, it's proclaim, broadcast, tell. You know, so we need to go out and we need to tell a lost and dying world about Jesus. That's our number one job. That's that's the one job that each and every one of us have as Christians. We need to tell the world, everybody that we come in contact with, we need to tell them about Jesus. Tell them about your life. Tell them about how you were before you were saved, and then tell them how you are now that you are saved and what God has done for you in your life since you turned your heart and life over to the Lord. Tell them about all this. This is what we're, we're supposed to be doing. This is job number one. Now then, God has got a plan for each and every one of us. He's got a job for us to do. Many jobs, as a matter of fact. Proclaiming the word is one. Now then, the other one that God has got you to do is that's a one-on-one -on -one thing with you and him. And as I've said many times, it will probably be one job you don't want to do, but it'll be the one job that God wants you to do. And I figured out the reason why that God called me to do the things that I just def definitely did not want to do. I didn't want no part of it, uh, send somebody else. But the reason that he sent me, that had me doing those jobs is, is because he could teach me the right way to do it. He could teach me his way to do it. And I'd have to lean on him and I'd have to learn from him because I don't know how to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't know how to do it. I, I have never done this before in my life. I don't want no part of it. But the Lord said, yes, you, you're going to do it. And I said, finally, I, I said, okay, Lord, here I am. Teach me. Teach me. You know, I, I've, I goofed around in school, and I look back now, and there was a lot of a lot of my schooling that I wished I had a paid a paid a lot more attention to and studied a lot more in, especially now. But you know, still yet the Lord can use an old boy that didn't even finish high school. He can still use me. It doesn't matter. God don't care about your education, your worldly education. He don't care about how much money you got, how little money you got. He don't care about none of that stuff. What color your skin is, he don't care. Where you was born at, he don't care. You know, I still say uh, that Jesus, they was really to Jesus, there was only two two different types of people in the world, and still yet, there's only to him, there's only two different types of people in the world. And if we could ever get this in our mind, we we all would be a whole lot better off. But the only two types of people in the world was the saved and the unsaved. And he, went, he came down here seeking those that were unsaved, ministering to them. And, you know, he, he, went, he went out of his way so many times to find people that nobody else wanted nothing to do with. Look at, look at the, uh, the guy that was in the cemetery. And, and they put him in chains and, and uh, fetters and, and everything to be thought of, trying to uh, get him 
do something with him, and he he'd break the chains, he'd break the fetters, and he he run naked all through the cemetery. And Jesus walked into the cemetery, and he met Jesus. And he asked Jesus, said, "Why have you come to persecute me before my time?" That was not the man talking to Jesus. That was the demons that was in the man. And Jesus set the man free. He went there specifically to find that man and set him free. The woman at the well. Samaritans and, and Jews, oil and water. Neither one liked the other one. If a Jew even brushed up against a Samaritan in the marketplace, he rushed home. He took his clothes off. He washed his clothes. He washed himself, and he was unclean until the evening. He had to stay at home. He could not go out until the evening. He was unclean. That's how much their hatred was. But Jesus went to that well that day with his disciples, sent his disciples off so that he could be by himself because he knew that woman was going to be at that well and she needed something. And we can't even walk across the street to help our neighbor. Shame on us. Shame on us. But it's the same God, the same Jesus that it was back in the Bible days, that it is today. We have tried to, we, we do not want to live the life that we need to to go to heaven, so we try to bring Jesus down to our level. Let me tell you something, it ain't going to work. Because the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they tried that for 33 and a third years, trying to bring Jesus down to their level so they can make their self look good and feel good. And it didn't work then, and it's not going to work now. So we just might as well just buckle down and get our heart, heart right with God and get our life in line with him and live the way that he wants us to do. Live a good, clean, righteous Christian life that Jesus can be proud of. I don't care whether you're proud of me or not. As long as God's proud of me, that's all I care about. Now then, they have gotten over, they're about to go over the Red Sea. The Lord's telling Joshua, he said, all right, now then, I want, um, back before that, uh, right back in verse 12. Now, therefore, take ye twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And that, that's it. That's all it says. It's, it's one of those things that it, it's, it keeps you wondering, all right? Right in the middle of... Uh, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go before you and uh, you and the Canaanites and and the, all the different ones that's over there, and said, "Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of of all the earth passes over before you into Jordan." And then the next verse is, "Now therefore, take ye twelve men out of the tribes of Israel, out of every tribe a man," and then it goes on about the feet of the priest and, and uh, the Ark of the Covenant and all this. But then we get into chapter 4. 
And it came to pass when all the people were clinging past over Jordan that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe of man, and command ye them, saying, Take ye hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where we shall lodge this night. Those 12 men that I were back in chapter 3, this is what they're, they're, this is what they were to do. When, when the children of Israel start over, the priests move from the edge of the Jordan and go right into the middle of Jordan, and they stand there. They stand there with this ark. This ark is a rep representation of God. And as they stand there, it's, it's like God is holding back the waters. So where they, where they stood at, the Lord wants, God wants them, these 12 men to pick a stone from around where they were standing and carry it to the other side of Jordan. And the place where they stop at that night, they are going to make a pillar a, a column out of these 12 stones. And then he wants them to go back and he wants them to build another one with 12 stones where the, the priest that carried the Ark of the Covenant, where they stood in the middle of Jordan River, he wants them to make one in the middle of Jordan River. Now, uh, and, and the Bible says it stands still today. It stands in the middle of Jordan River still today. Listen, it don't matter how much water comes down through there. It don't matter how strong that water gets and everything. If God wants these 12 stones to stand, they'll stand and be standing when he comes back and gets his people. They'll still be standing when this world is destroyed if God wants them to, to stand there. In one place I read that, you can't see the stones when the when Jordan's uh, flooded, uh, but when it when it goes down, you can see the tops of the stones. And this is a memorial to everyone, especially the children after they uh, the the new kids that come in. It's to be a memorial for them when they ask what these stones are for. They can tell them about how that they are in the land that they are in today. You know, have you got a story that you can tell somebody about how that you got to where that you are today? Have you got those 12 stones stacked up to where that, uh, if, if somebody was to see them and ask you about them, that you could, you could tell them exactly why those 12 stones are stacked up? Now, this, this is spiritually. Because we need to live a life to where people will see something in us, to where that they will start asking questions, that they they will know something's different, and we need to live that life, and then we need to to have that memorial, that that thought in our mind of, of where we were at, and what God done for us, and how He done it to us, and and what He brought us out of, and where He had brought us to. God has brought me a long way. It's, it's been an up and a down um, because of, of me. 
It's not because God. God never left me. I left him a few times. Yes, I had to come back and I had to repent. And I had to ask him for forgiveness. But it's been an up and down. But he has brought me a long way. And he has blessed me uh, so, oh, so very much. Uh, I mean, I I get so anymore. It's, it's, it's not the blessings in my pocket that counts. It's the blessings in, in my life, the, the people in my life, the blessings in my life. Uh, simple things, the simple things that God gives me anymore means more to me than, than money does. Uh, money is just an, an object that's going to, like everything else in this world, it's going to be destroyed. But, you know, people I meet, uh, uh, they're, they're, some of the people that I meet, are, are a great blessing to me you know it doesn't matter whether they're saved or whether they're not saved they they you know people can be like joshua said they can be either a blessing or a curse and you know listen let me tell you something those people that come against you and those people that uh are coming out against you for whatever reason if you will take the time to pray for them and you will take the time to seek God. Sometimes they get a little, they get a lot worse before they get better, because when God starts dealing with them, they they have a tendency to get uh, uh, a little worse than what they were to begin with, because it, it makes them miserable. But keep praying, don't give up. But this is their memorial, these twelve stones, and it says, when your children wants to know what these stones are for, tell them exactly ha what happened all the way from Egypt to the to the point you are right now and tell them exactly what God did for you how he how he brought you out of the land of Egypt and how he brought you through the wilderness and how he crossed over the Jordan River and brought you to this place you are now this place this land that flows with milk and honey let them know about it proclaim God's word Tell the people exactly how that God has worked for you and what he's done for you. You know, it, it's, it's not something that we need to be ashamed of. It's something that we need, to, we need to tell the world about. But we are so afraid of somebody talking about us or saying something about us, making fun of us, that we, we tend to hide what we have. But, you know, salvation is not something that we, the, we need to hide the spiritual blessings that God gives us, it's not something we need to hide. It's something that we need to give away. It's something that we need to pass on because there are so many people out there that are hurting, are searching in everything of the world. They are searching in everything of the world for exactly what you and I have, and they can't find it because they're looking in all the wrong places. And we, as children of God, we have sat down and been, been be quiet and don't want nobody to know that we are a child of God and prayed that somebody will say something to us. Listen, they talked about Jesus all the time. They made fun of him all the time. And, you know, I am I'm, I'm very thankful for one thing, that I'm very thankful that I am not like Jesus in one way. He knew the thoughts of every person around him. He knew their thoughts. I, I don't think I can handle that. I really don't. You, you want to you talk about being a, a child of God? Let the Lord, let God just open your, 
spiritual ears one of these days to where that you can hear everything that everybody has got to say about you. And then we'll figure out what kind of a Christian you are. But Jesus, he took it all in stride because he knew what, how man was. And listen, if they made fun of Jesus, who do you think you are? You know better. You're you're you're, you're certainly not. Uh, you're certainly not Jesus. They're gonna make fun of you too. I don't care what you do. I don't care. It doesn't matter. They're going people are going to make fun of you. It doesn't matter if you are saved or unsaved. If you speak up or don't speak up, they're gonna make fun of you. So you just might as well just get it all out there in the open and 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 have at it. And let the Lord use you and bless you. Because every time that you do something, you don't do something that God wants you to do, you don't speak to that person that God wants you to speak to, you're cheating yourself out of a blessing. So now then, what are you going to do? Are you going to continue to sit there and say nothing? Or are you going to get up and do what the Lord wants you to do? It, it, it's not easy. It's not easy. God never promised us it was going to be easy. I, that's the reason why that he had somebody to write down everything that happened to him and to all of his apostles and all of his disciples. That's the reason why Jesus wanted everything written down. That's the reason why Moses and God wanted everything written down of, of what went on in the children of Israel's life as they come out of Egypt across the desert into the promised land. It was not easy. It was a very hard life. It was full of twists and turns and ups and downs and uh, death and sickness and everything to be thought of. But they made it. They made it. Not all of them made it, but a lot of them made it. They made it into the promised land, into that place where God can really, really bless you and use you. And that, into that place where that you don't, you don't care about the battles. You you hit you you uh, go to those battles head on. You meet them head on. You you because you know you are at the point right now to where that you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God has got your back, and there's nothing going to happen to you today that you and God cannot handle. When you get to that place, let me tell you something. It's a wonderful place to be. When you ask the Lord for something and He moves, you know I've been I've been going through a little dry spell here, some things going on, and uh, very very tired. And I was at work Tuesday, I believe it was, and uh, I was I was just really tired and and thinking I was thinking about talking to the Lord and everything and. And then that, that thought come to me. Uh, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. Lord, take my hand. Lead me. Guide me. Help me through this trial. I know I don't have to go through it by myself. God, I have, Lord, I have you by my side. Take my hand. Lead me through it. 
And, you know, everything started looking up after that. I surrendered it all to the Lord. And he took my hand. And he's leading me through it. And I'm going to come out on the other side a lot stronger than when I went into this thing in. But I listen, I thank you all for listening. I hope God blesses you. I hope you got something out of this. And until the next time, may God bless you all.